This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. So tell us, what what are you seeing this week in the data? So this week in the data, uh, I did see the first uh, significant inflow into the equity funds we track of of an admittedly young year. Um, But um, what I thought was perhaps more significant was that this did not come at the expense of the fixed income fund universe, which followed up last year's record-setting weekly inflow by uh, pulling in another $16.5 billion. Um, if it maintained the weekly average it has so far, it'll, it would end up the year taking in nearly a trillion dollars. So it's actually currently on pace to break last year's record-setting inflows. In the emerging market space, um, we saw uh, flows continue to be solid um, and to broaden. Uh, all four of the major regional groups saw uh, fresh money. Uh, and frontier equity markets had their biggest inflow in, in uh, over actually over two years. So people are certainly responding to the investment community's uh, analysis uh, of this asset class, which is it is undervalued and offers higher growth. Um, they don't seem to be uh, willing to sort of do the country level analysis, which uh, is this in the fine print of these. Uh, broad uh, broad sort of expressions of support for emerging markets assets um, <clears throat> in the in the sector sector fund space uh, not surprisingly the fourth quarter earnings season is tending to drive the flows uh, we had good earnings surprises uh, I don't know if surprise is the right word but certainly um, some of the big U.S. financial plays were able to exceed admittedly modest expectations, uh, and we saw another billion flow into financial sector funds last week. Uh, on the fixed income side, uh, definitely some signs of uh, s- slowly increasing risk appetite. Uh, bank loan funds uh, had back-to-back inflows for the first time since the fourth quarter. Uh, of 2018, uh, healthy inflows into both emerging markets bond funds and to high-yield bond funds. Uh, Total return funds continue to see more often than not a billion-plus dollars flow in. The flows, even though the bulk of them again went to the U.S. bond funds, there was definitely sort of a, a, a broader spreading around of the wealth uh, within the U.S. bond fund universe, there were six subgroups that took in over a billion, um, and the uh, the only uh, two major groups to see outflows uh, were Europe bond funds, and I think some of that might have been technical positioning, uh, because the uh, the uh, the big country outflows, with the exception of Spain, sort of matched up with similar outflows at the same time last year. Does the bank loan activity, does that say anything to you sentiment-wise? Yes, it, it does. Um, I've personally thought that the uh, aversion to this particular asset class was somewhat overdone. Um, 
banks probably emerged from the uh, great financial crisis as the most heavily regulated of the sort of big financial uh, institutions. Um, I have not had the impression that the quality of the loans was as bad as the flows seem to suggest. Um, but given that they, what was clearly a sort of a, a red line in terms of perceived risk for investors is now starting to be crossed, suggests that uh, the rise in risk appetite, certainly within the, the fixed income space, uh, is significant and has some momentum. I know one thing that you've been keying in on in recent weeks is the BRICS story and how that's developing. Uh, what do you think is interesting when it comes to those, those countries? As you've noticed in our flows, we've been seeing very consistent uh, overall commitments to the emerging markets equity funds we track. Uh, and this is consistent with a broader narrative coming from the investment uh, community that uh, emerging markets offer perhaps the best opportunity uh, to realize value and growth in the coming year. Uh, it's not uncommon to start the year with uh, that particular uh, line of thinking, um, but there seems to be a little more conviction to it going into 2020. Um, I've been focusing on the BRICS in part because they serve as a microcosm for looking at uh, issues of uh, diversity, uh, diversification, uh, and focusing on individual markets. So I thought this week we'd try something different. Uh, I'm going to name two themes, regions, countries, etc. You tell us who you think is going to see more money either go in or less money come out in the coming six months. Uh, so let's start with, you mentioned BRICS, Frontier or BRICS? BRICS, uh, I think, will see more money, um, though... Investors remain very reluctant to sort of take on the whole BRIC theme. Uh, they're still uh, tending to focus on one or other of the markets within that four-country universe. Um, Brazil remains the only real reform story of the four markets included in the BRIC uh, category, and I think that they will uh, continue to lead the pack. Um, China is a little more difficult to uh, assess. We're going into the Chinese New Year, which always throws a wobble uh, in the data, but it will give people a chance to look at the fine print of the phase one trade deal uh, that was just signed between the U.S. and China, which has obviously played a big role in sentiment uh, uh, over the past 18 months. Russia, there's a certain degree of catch-up going on at the moment. Uh, this past week, we saw flows that were the biggest in well over a year. Uh, but there's only so far, I think, for that particular story to run. Uh, and the constitutional changes uh, floated by uh, President Putin recently uh, suggest uh, that uh, hopes for any kind of reform story and real change in that market are going to be pushed off even further into the future. India was the big laggard last year, which uh, often uh, creates an opportunity again for catch-up. Uh, and from a fund flow perspective, it's still enjoying very strong domestic support. 
Uh, but foreign interest is definitely on the wane. Uh, a number of factors, including the lack of private uh, investment uh, over the past three or four years uh, and the uh, perception that uh, Narendra Modi is using the mandate he gained last year for nationalist rather than economic reform steps. Uh, frontier markets, uh, we are seeing a bit of an uptick in interest, but again, we often see people respond to uh, an early year narrative that this is the year for emerging markets, which tends to fade pretty abruptly when reality in the form of unforeseen issues or a geopolitical event rear their head. So who's going to see more money flow in in the next year? Healthcare or real estate funds? That is a complicated question because, of course, we're going into an election year here in the U.S., uh, which tends to whipsaw both of those fund groups. And uh, this particular cycle, given the, the uh, I won't say extreme polarization, but significantly higher polarization uh, of the two major parties towards the, the, the far ends of their respective spectrums, uh, means that there's going to be more said that is likely to cause investors to move aggressively uh, in one direction or the other. Uh, I think real estate, honestly, has the best chance. Um, it remains a, a, a very privileged asset class, certainly in the U.S., in terms of tax policy. Um, and I think re regardless of whether it's a Republican or a Democrat who ends up winning, uh, in November, um, they are not going to be particularly hostile to um, real estate. Healthcare is obviously a different issue, and if uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren uh, do emerge triumphant, um, there's likely to be a, a period of considerable volatility uh, in, in that sector. While the new president lays out their plans for U.S. healthcare and people try and assess whether they can actually make that happen. Financials or technology? <laughs> I think that uh, technology um, is likely to win out over financials, though financials have had a very strong start to this year. Um, but financials tend to... Um, ride the earnings cycle, I think, more uh, uh, more aggressively than do technology plays. Uh, again, politics will play a big role throughout this year in terms of how these sectors are perceived, and certainly um, the democratic narrative is not particularly warm and fuzzy when it comes to the financial sector. Uh, whereas technology, though we have seen you know, a rise in antitrust and privacy concerns, uh, it has embraced the Democratic Party. And uh, the general thinking is that of the two sectors, uh, if there is a change uh, in the White House uh, come November, uh, technology will fare much better than the financial sector. So this is a popular topic amongst a number of our team members, ESG or multi-asset over the next two years? Um, whew, that is, that is a, a good one. Um, I'm going to take perhaps the, <laughs> the lazy-seeming answer and say both. Um, I think that uh, 
ESG, SRI, will continue to be very popular, uh, in part because even though we could have a spirited debate about how real the impact uh, of this trend is on the goals that uh, it uh, purports to uh, steer money towards, uh, it has real value as both an extra layer of due diligence and it's starting to have the performance numbers. So I think that people will continue to gravitate towards that pretty much regardless of the social and ESG aspects and the somewhat heated debate surrounding that. Uh, multi-asset, I think, is also going to do well because we are starting to see uh, yield hunger uh, rear its head again and uh, a, a definite uptick of risk appetite in the fixed income space. Uh, bank loan funds, which were shunned uh, pretty much for all of last year uh, because of perceptions about the credit quality and, and the general level of risk, uh, are starting to see money again. Uh, even though the uh, default rate is ticking up, high-yield bond funds are seeing money more often than not. And total return funds have been extremely popular now for the better part of a year. I think they've taken in fresh money 53 of the past 54 weeks. Um, balanced funds remain the variable. Um, they are definitely wrestling with a trend that is also <clears throat> biting into uh, U.S. equity fund flows, which is the uh, retirement of the baby boomers who uh, were the main source of fresh money for them for so many years. Uh, though Those retirees are now looking for the safest possible asset classes to park their nest eggs, um, which in the fund flow universe is reflected in the huge flows we've been seeing to bond funds over the past two years. How did the size of those two... Uh, groupings, ESG and multi-asset compare? I mean, are they comparable? Is it multi-asset larger? Uh, multi-asset is much larger, mu much more firmly established. Um, and interestingly, um, before the SRI ESG universe started to show this dynamic growth, uh, the big hope, certainly in terms of generational vehicles, uh, for capturing millennial and Gen X interest was the multi-asset space. Uh, I went to a lot of uh, conferences between uh, 2014, 2017, where there would be several panels on multi-asset products and how to tailor them to the rising generations. Um, and I think that that narrative has been stalled by the startling growth in the ESG SRI universe. It isn't dead. Are they exclusive? Are there multi-asset funds that have an ESG mandate? Uh, no, I don't think they are. And in, in some senses, one of the issues that the SRI ESG universe uh, faces is that if you try and encompass uh, all of the uh, boxes in the, in the uh, mandate, uh, you become, if not a multi-asset, a multi-goal vehicle, which is quite, you know, the only way to do that is probably to have a, a fairly wide spectrum of assets so you can check uh, the different boxes. It certainly introduces more complexity into the investment process. Yes, it does. Um, and, you know, there's a fairly noisy uh, battle going on in, in, the, in the sort of space devoted to trying to define what is and isn't. 
uh, a proper ESG SRI asset. Uh, so the final either or, uh, would you think that Spain or Sweden will see more inflows or fewer outflows over the next six months? Um, I, there I perhaps have the greatest conviction, which is I think that Spain uh, and the funds that invest in it are in for a, a bumpy ride over the next six months. Um, in part because Spain has further to fall. It, it was the poster child for the Eurozone market, which took its medicine uh, and as a result was able to rebound more strongly than, uh, say, France or Italy. Uh, but uh, its politics, as is not uncommon in Europe these days, has become uh, polarized and the old centrist coalition that could command a majority has fractured. Going into the final months of last year, investors were really getting tired of the lack of proper government that could actually pursue economic policy. Um, they then got the classic careful what you wish for, a, a fragile coalition that uh, took the, uh, the majority or the socialists who have the biggest number of seats uh, much further to the left. Uh, the policy agenda of the uh, current government, which has a razor-thin majority, uh, is certainly not the kind of thing that tends to get investors excited. Sweden uh, has suffered more for technical reasons. Um, investors have responded to the uh, Riksbank's decision to end the experiment with uh, negative interest rates by uh, feeling that, that the Swedish market will not be as juiced as perhaps it has been uh, in recent years and stepping back. Um, but arguably, the this, this Swedish decision is a responsible policy one, and while there may be some adjustments to be made, um, it certainly doesn't carry the risks that uh, a very left-of-center uh, government making major shifts uh, in economic policy carry for Spain. Any trends, anything you're looking for over the next week? Well, at this time of year, I'm always looking to see if the patterns of the previous year get broken. Uh, we've already touched upon the fact that bank loan funds, which were uh, as solidly out of favor as any of the fund groups that we tracked last year, uh, are seeing fresh money. Um, I, I'm constantly on the alert for signs that investors are going to chase the, the remarkable run-up in the U.S. Uh, equity market. Um, and the, uh, the uh, U.K.-Eurozone split in Europe remains uh, sort of a, a key theme, I think. Um, in the second half of last year, uh, investors made a, a, an increasingly clear decision to back Britain and rotate away from the Eurozone, which was a big shift from the previous two and a half years. And uh, whether that will continue this year is definitely an area that I'm paying a lot of attention to. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.